Influencer Podcast, episode number 42. This show is brought to you by our free tip sheet of the month, Attract Your Ideal Audience, a completely free tip sheet that will help you cut through the clutter, get crystal clear on who you're talking to, and help you start attracting and growing your audience today. You can grab your free tip sheet at juliesolomon.net forward slash newsletter. Welcome to the Influencer Podcast. Each week, Julie Solomon, a marketing strategist and New York Times bestselling publicist, takes you behind the scenes with successful influencers, bloggers, and industry elites in conversation to share how they engage, persuade, and grow their unique influence. Her mission is to share exclusive insider tips, wisdom, and action-based tools to help you strengthen, monetize, and build your own industry-leading influence. Before we dive in, I want to give my warm appreciation to our reviewer of the week, and that is Freaky44, and she said, I'd seen this podcast around but didn't listen to it until recently. How I wish I did a lot sooner. Julie and her guests are so knowledgeable, and their confidence when leading these episodes makes me excited to keep going in my work. Her perspective and advice is gold. Well, thank you so much for your review. I am so glad that you found it. You started listening to it and you're getting great insights from this podcast. I would agree with you. I think our guests are amazing too. So I want to hear from more of you who listen in each week. Make sure to subscribe to the Influencer Podcast on iTunes and give us a review so I can highlight your review in an upcoming episode. Also, make sure to screenshot this episode right now on your phone and tag me on your Instagram story at Jules Solomon, our guest today at Nikki Filippi, and hashtag the Influencer Podcast to let us know that you're joining in today as you know that I love to share those screenshots on my story too. Last week, I shared with Monica and Melody, the co-founders of Simply Spaced, the three method strategy that will streamline your workload, and we showed you a sneak peek into how they completely transformed my office space. Today, the amazing Nikki Filippi is going to share her insights on how she became a YouTube phenomena, how she made sure to stick strong with her faith and let that navigate to her success. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode. I am so freaking excited that I get to talk <laughs> to the one and only Nikki Philippi today. Hi. Nick- yes, Nikki is a YouTuber who recently made a move from Santa Clarita, California to my hometown of Nashville, Tennessee. She yeah. has amassed over 1.3 million subscribers on YouTube. This girl has really just created a brand and a life and really just a lovely space um, on YouTube. She created Creates lifestyle videos that attract young women and men to watch her daily routines, recipes, and listen to her advice and watch her music videos. She's been married to her husband, Dan, for nine and a half years, and they have two dogs, Zoe and Bowser, that you actually will see in the videos. And to simply put it, she knows how to inspire and how to really bring people in to show them not only a behind the scenes of her life, but how they can really make a better impact into the world. So I am so excited to chat with her today. She is not only a wealth of knowledge in this influencer space, but just an amazing human being. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear a little bit more of her story. So without further ado, hello, Miss Nikki. Hi, what an intro. Thanks. (laughs) You are so welcome. So as I just said, I kind of gave a little bit of a spiel, but I would love if you could just kind of take us back a little bit um, to that day that you were like, hey, I'm going to start a YouTube channel. And how that came about, what year it was, and just kind of how that started to flow a little bit for you. Yeah. So my, my story, I always tell people, I'm like, I'm going to try to make it condensed, but I talk a lot. So I'm going to try to shorten it. No worries. 
basically the gist of, of what it was. So my background, like my whole life, I have, you know, danced and sang and created and acted and all of that stuff. And about eight years ago, I was working in Singapore with Universal Studios. And after that job, I had come back to the States early. Like I'd cut my contract short because of an injury that I had. And I always tell people like this part of the story, like the way that I started, um, I feel like I kind of sound crazy if you're not religious, but this is literally how it went down. I uh, woke up one morning in July of 2010 and I literally felt God telling me to get on YouTube. Like that was it. Just get on YouTube. Nothing else. Um, it was kind of funny. Cause I remember thinking like, what am I going to do on YouTube? Like, <laughs> am I looking up cat videos or like what's happening on YouTube? And I remember I got up, started looking on YouTube and I found all these people online that had created like a full on community and they were conversing back and forth with people and creating consistent content. I was like, maybe that's something I'm supposed to do. Like, maybe that's what this is. So, um, really shortly after, like within the following days, I ended up filming a video. Oh, I'm so sorry. I thought I had muted that. I thought I was a good girl and muted all of my stuff. No worries. It happens. <laughs> um, yeah, man, you try and, and you're like, how many devices do I have? <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, so I uploaded it. I ended up like filming a video about like my favorite nail polishes or something like that. And I uploaded the video five minutes later. This is in, this is in July of 2010. Um, I took the video down. I was so embarrassed. I was like, who do I think I am? This is such a stupid idea. Went back to my normal life, which consisted of like casting director, you know, workshops and acting classes and all this stuff, just trying to figure out like what I was going to do, especially I kind of left a part of the story out. Um, when my husband and I came back from Singapore, we had come back early because I had some pretty serious injuries. So I was kind of in the space of like, what am I going to do with my life? Like, where am I going to go? Like, I can't dance anymore. Like, uh, I don't know. So anyways, upload the video in July, took it down five minutes later. Cause I felt so dumb at that time, which this was seven years ago. Um, I didn't know anybody that did this. I mean, like I said, I didn't even know people were like uploading consistently and making a, you know, quote unquote channel. So I went back to my normal life. I was like, that was such a dumb idea, but the idea wouldn't leave my head. And so in September I ended up uploading again. And then I had the same like sequence of events go down. I felt really stupid. I was like such a dumb idea. Who do I think I am? Took the video back down, went back to my normal life. And then in December I was driving to a casting director workshop. And right when I turned on the radio, um, a really well-known influencer, Shay Carl, he had called into a radio program and the guy, it was like, right when I turned the radio on, the guy goes, so what do you do? And he's like, well, basically I make YouTube videos. And I remember it was like getting struck by lightning, like third time's a charm. Like I got to do this. I knew I had to do it. So I got home, uploaded the video and I just decided like not to tell anyone and I thought, well, if I hate it, if I embarrass myself, nobody has to know I can take the video down. Like it's fine. But kind of the opposite ended up happening. I dove in, like I got so excited researching and, um, I kind of just started putting in 70 hours a week, like right from the get go. Once I decided in December to upload and just not tell anyone. So from there, yeah, put in like 70 hours a week. Um, took me about six months to make my first hundred dollars. <laughs> After that, it was about a year, another following year till I made, you know, what would be considered like a full-time income. And my husband and I were able to move out of my parents' house. I left that little tidbit 
out. We were living with my parents after we came home from Singapore. And then a year after that, my husband was able to leave his job to come work with me on my YouTube channel and, you know, managing things and organizing things and shooting things. Um, and yeah, the rest, I mean, there's so many more details. I, I have a really hard time condensing, but that's the gist. That's how I started. You did a great, a great job condensing. And I actually, I want to go back to a couple of things. So you said, you know, you, you, you kept resisting and it kept coming for you. It was kind of like that's that still small voice just kept saying like, no, you're, you're not getting yeah. away from this. This is happening. So once you finally just, you stuck with it, you did it. It took you, you said 70 hours a week starting out, right? Oh, definitely. I was, I was pulling days, almost seven days a week where I was starting work, like starting at 7am. So I was getting up a little before that and I wasn't finishing work till like one in the morning. So it, because I was clueless right. and the whole terrain was so new. Like I didn't know, I remember setting up my laptop trying to film and it was like, how do you get good light? Like not even understanding the concept of like where the light comes and hits your face and how you capture that on camera down to like SEO stuff. Like how do you tag a video? How do you title a video? How do you make a thumbnail? What do I even want to make videos about? You know? Um, so it was a lot of work just to try to fill in a lot of pieces. Yeah. Cause you didn't know, like you said, you didn't know. So you really had to strap your, you know, bootstraps, mind and grind, figure it out yourself, which, mm-hmm. you know, the, the whole, the whole purpose, I, I love, I love guests like you that come on because the whole purpose of, of starting this podcast was to help people like curve that, you know, like the learning curve that we all had to do. Like I want to try to condense that learning curve for people. Mm. Um, but, but the consistent thing that I've always noticed is that the ones you know, everyone that I noticed that, that has been consistently not just successful flash in the pan, but consistently growing, consistently successful are the ones that truly do mind and grind it out and put in that, those 10,000 hours that they say that you need to become an expert at anything. And so I love that you were just so transparent with that. And you said, so at least 70 hours a week starting out. And even with that seven, 70 hour work weeks, you didn't even make your first hundred bucks to six months in. Yeah. It took me six months. Wow. And I remember I had my dad like take a picture of me with the check. I was like, this is the first hundred of many hundreds, hopefully. <laughs> I love that. And so, so you got the 100 and then you said that it really kind of took like another year from that six month mark to really start being like, okay, this is like a job. This is income that I can like, you know, keep the lights on and like feed myself with. Yeah. I mean, we were living with my parents during that whole time, just because of the way everything had unfolded with that Singapore job. Right. And, um, they said my, I mean, my parents, they're like overly supportive and they were like, just stay here until you're making enough money doing this for you guys to be able to support and move out. And it, it took a while because a lot of the money that Dan was making during that year and a half, um, I was just spending, like right. I was just putting it back into YouTube. Like, Oh, well, you know, now I need to get a camera or like my computer crashed. I need to get a computer, even silly seeming things. I remember feeling so embarrassed, um, because so many people, especially back then, it wasn't really a viable way to make money. So explaining to people, Oh, I'm a married woman living with my parents, like (laughs) spending all this money. It's like, what are you doing? Go get a job. But I would spend money on like, I remember a bunch of people I became friends with that do you know, similar, they make videos, they're YouTubers, um, content creators. They were going to Disneyland all the time and they kept inviting me to come and hang out. And I remember being like, dude, I live at my parents. Should I really have a Disneyland pass? (laughs) 
you know, like that's embarrassing. I didn't even have a car because we sold our cars to leave to Singapore. Um, but you know, Dan was like, I think you should do it. Like, not only are these people now your friends, but they're your work peers. Like if they're inviting you to hang out, get the Disneyland pass. So that's, that's not as easily, I think understood, especially back then it wasn't really understood by people. Like, why are you doing that? You're go get a job. (laughs) But I'm just really grateful that it panned out that that wasn't a huge mistake. (laughs) Well, yeah. And you kind of had, or, you know, especially from what it sounds like, Dan kind of had the foresight to say, like, it is your job to go to Disneyland and to connect with these people and to network with these people, which I want to, I want to dive into that a little bit more and in a little while because of of something that you had said to me prior to getting on this call, which I think is amazing. Um, But so you said a year to make the income. And then like by that next year, you were generating so much income that then Dan was able to kind of become employed by this new brand that you guys had made. And then you started supplementing that way. A really interesting thing. And I would love your thoughts on this because I don't know like if you were starting out today, if it could still kind of be this way, but you know, part of what makes you unique is, is that you, you really kind of share a 360 view of your life, right? So Mm. it's not like you have this like one specific niche that you, you know, it's not like you're just a beauty vlogger or you just do recipes or you just do X, Y, and Z. What's so interesting about that nowadays in 2017 is that Everyone always says that since it's such an oversaturated market, you kind of have to have a niche. You have to kind of figure out something, hone in on one thing. What is your take on that? Do you feel like people have to have a niche nowadays? Do you feel like you would have had to have a niche if you started today versus seven years ago? Or do you still feel like if you're kind of multi-passionate about a lot of different things, as long as you're bringing good quality to the table, you can kind of do a little bit of both? Well, I mean, the short answer is I'm inclined to say the last that being, that being said, how do I word this? There's kind of two sides to this. So when I started, I was really purposeful about wanting to do a lot of things for a couple of reasons. Um, a, I just, like you said, I'm multi-passionate. I like a lot of things. I get bored doing one thing for too long and I just have a lot of interests. Um, but also because I remember back then, like when I started, the only thing I really didn't do, um, was much music. And that was really more my background. But I remember thinking like, well, you know, this other, these other passions that I have, I could develop those from an income perspective. Those are probably going to make me an income faster than like, you know, creating music or, um, something like that. And I really love those things as well. Just growing up in the arts, makeup and, you know, my family's really into health and cooking. So I kind of, this sounds so lame to admit, but I'm just going to be honest. I remember thinking like, I wonder if I could do like a backwards version of what Jessica Simpson did, like start with lifestyle first and then kind of segue more into music once I have a little bit more of a stable income. So that was kind of where my head was at. Now, that being said, I think size and growth, you know, in your audience, it's so relative nowadays. So you even asking me that I'm like, Ooh, I'm, I'm not the biggest fish in the sea. And I think a lot of people that are bigger than me would still say that, that having a niche is the best way to really find your audience and grow. And I don't really disagree with them. I just feel like, you know, art and business, it's like, you have to kind of find this spot where you're comfortable, like, I don't know, like Dan and I always say, like, you could just get richer and richer and richer and bigger and bigger and bigger, but are you going to be happy? And so like walking that fine line of like, well, I didn't want to, I didn't want to give up everything and focus on a niche. So I've always, I've always grown a little slower. Like, yes, I have a large audience, but there are people that have so much larger audiences in a shorter period of time. So I think it's just, there's so many strategies to grow. I think that's a great one. I have a close friend that 
that's what she did. And she focused and really grinded. I don't know if that's a word, but on that one specific area and it's served her well, she's huge because of it. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't know. I feel like I didn't fully answer your question, but no, that's I just kind of where my head's at. Yeah, no, I think you did. I, I, I don't think that there's a right answer. Yeah. I, I, just from my feedback. Um, like I I'm kind of like your, your, like if I, if I, if I take myself as a brand, I need, when, when I started niching down, that's what, that's what allowed me to grow. But mm. then I have other friends that they didn't niche down at all. And that's what allowed them to grow. Isn't and that fascinating? yeah. So I really, I think that it's, to me, I think that it's about knowing your audience enough to know what mm. they want from you. Because if mm. you're someone that your audience they kind of want a little bit of everything. And as long as you're just giving them that, then maybe your niche is to not have a niche. But I think that it's really about listening to what your audience wants. And and as long as you keep doing more of what they want from you, then then you'll grow. Yeah. And I'm this weird hybrid too of like, in some ways, I feel like if I'm going to give myself credit, like, Oh, I'm a smart businesswoman, Like I've built this thing. Mm-hmm. But then in other ways, I'm kind of this crazy artist too, where like, I have to just kind of do what feels right. right. <laughs> you know, or I go insane. It's like, no, it doesn't sit right with me. So, um, I think, yeah, there's not really one way to success and, you know, knowing what your audience wants, like what you said, and also honoring like your heart and your art. Like, I just think, I don't know. I think that's a good long-term move. Like I don't have any other plans, but to be in entertainment. So I'm just like, well, I like to do a lot of things. I'm going to adapt and learn and hopefully just keep going forward, you know? Right. And do them. Um, my friends, have you ever thought that you have done the hard part? You have started your business and you have taken that leap from belief into really stepping out and claiming a vision for yourself. But you know that if you want to make money doing what you love, you need other support. You need to grow. You need to scale. You need a marketing strategy. You need a lot of this stuff. Now, of course, I talk so much about these things, right? Like how to identify your target audience, where to find them, which marketing channels to focus on. So you're really making the most out of your budget. And of course, how to use things like data to set goals. But there's another great podcast that I love out there that also talks about this stuff. And it's called This is Small Business. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, answers so many of these kinds of questions. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or you're looking to take a part-time side hustle full-time, or maybe you're a few years in and you're ready to scale. This is Small Business is going to give you the practical tips that you can start using today. And I know that if you love these topics on my podcast, you're going to love them on this one too. Make sure to follow This is Small Business on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you don't miss these fantastic episodes. And a big thanks to This is Small Business Business for sponsoring the show. Speaking of growing, um, you know, brands, collaborations, partnerships, there's a, a few, a few kind of areas that I want to touch on with you, but I, I first want to start on, on brand related partnerships. When you started taking off, um, and started kind of getting brand deals, so to speak, would they come to you or would you go to them or would it be a little bit of both? You know, it's a little bit of both, but it's mostly, um, them coming to me at this mm-hmm. point. Right. And it's been that way, honestly, for most of the time, because a lot of times I found that if I have to reach out to a brand, there's a lot of educating involved. Like they might be like, who are you? What do you do? What value do you bring to my company? And I think if you're willing to put in that footwork or you have a management team that can do that, you know, that's great. Um, but I just never, I wasn't really willing to do that. I was like, Oh, I can't do this part. I need to just like make my videos focus on connecting with my audience. And, um, so yeah, most of them have come to me from that. And do you think that 
being on YouTube versus, I don't know, being a blogger or, um, do you think that that makes a difference with brands just from your experience or? It's interesting. I was about to say, I don't think they pay YouTubers as much. (laughs) They understand the blogging world. It still seems a lot more than the video world. But I think for me, a big reason why brands have come to me versus me going to them is also because I hooked up with like the proper companies pretty early on. It was around the 80,000. Well, okay. So before I had 80,000 subscribers, the way that I was acquiring brand deals was through websites that connect you with brands. So I would write up my own pitches, the brand would accept them. So it's kind of like going to the brand, except they're already there and they've agreed they want to do brand deals. So you're, you're removing that step of like a cold call and education and stuff. Um, but that's how I did my brand deals in the beginning. And then around the point of hitting 80,000 subscribers, I signed with a YouTube network And from that point on, most brand deals came to me because of that or because of my management, because they're already out there, you know, in the marketplace having those conversations. And so I always tell people like specifically in the YouTube world, like don't rush into a network because a lot of people are under the impression that a network is going to grow you and really change your brand. And, you know, I'm not trying to bash, you know, networks. And if anyone in a network is listening out there, like, You know, I've had great experiences with networks, but they do tend to majorly oversell what they can do. Mm -hmm. So the best thing that I found, even though networks are so useful and they're where I've made most of my money and I'm so grateful for those partnerships, I found that the best situation is when I can get written down going in, like exactly what I want in writing. You know, I want to, I want this much brand deals guaranteed over the course of the next year. Um, this is how much I'm willing to give up my, of my AdSense, if any, um, and just really getting it all clear. So it's not a vague contract of we're going to help you grow. It's like, Mm. really how we're going to be bringing you brand deals. Really? How much do you have a guarantee? And they won't make guarantees with everyone, but, but I think a lot, I've seen a lot of people think, Oh, I'm going to get on a network. Everything is going to change. But if you sign prematurely, they can't give you the attention that you need because all their focus ends up going to a bigger channel. You know what I mean? Right. Especially in, in the same goes for those that are listening, that if you're thinking like, what's a network and a network is essentially like an agency, um, that kind of helps garner and facilitate deals and collaborations for you. They're different. They're different than a manager because a manager tries to really kind of see more like your, your branding and the long-term goals and strategy. Whereas a a agency or networks just really going to be more about the deals, but you touched on so many great points right there of just really amazing tactical takeaways for the listeners today to kind of remind themselves of if they have an agency or a network or a person coming to them saying like, I can get you to that next level, asking them questions about like, okay, well then how, what does that look like? Yes. Cause just getting me to the next level, that's a very general statement. Like what does yes. that mean? And what does that look like? And what and are you going to do for me? Around. Of course. And it, it is, it's like, what are you going to do for me that, that either a, I'm not already doing for myself mm-hmm. or, you know, give me some examples, give me some data, because I think it's always so funny too, how like these networks and agencies, they, they always want all this data from us, but then yet we never get any from them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And yeah. I know so many people that have been like just devastated thinking they were going into a network and like they read too much into these empty promises that 
I don't think networks realize that they're like hurting people's feelings. Like if for lack of a better word, because they're thinking like, I got this email saying that they're going to really grow me and change everything. And it's like, you almost have to like remove the emotion. It's like, no, like I've like a part of me has become very like, okay, yeah, no, I got to see this in writing. Like (laughs) you got to tell me exactly what, and it's not personal. It's just like, I already know that of course you're going to sell yourselves with your best foot forward, but like, this is going to be potentially a long time that I'm with you a year, two years, three years, who knows, like, what are you going to do? And you get all of it in writing, you know, absolutely. You never want to do any kind of negotiation over a telephone call. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, thank you so much for that. I, I loved all of those, all of those, the, the takeaways. Um, Oh, good. I had asked you, I had asked you, asked you earlier, um, about really what drives you to grow your business. And I know that we just talked about, you know, brand partnerships, but another desire that really, that you said that you have in terms of business growth is that insatiable creative desire to just connect more. And I loved the example that you used of Disneyland earlier and how you really have tried to work with other influencers that you just tend to kind of like jive with creatively that can help grow the exposure. And you have seen firsthand that actually working with other influencers in collaborative ways has been the most effective way to grow for you. Um, Can you kind of share a little bit of, of your own journey and experience with that and what that's looked like? Yeah. I'm trying to think of where to begin. Okay. So early on in YouTube, um, I became friends with another YouTuber who I was actually, I became a fan of hers after that July morning wake up where it was like, get on YouTube. And I looked, I looked up videos and I found her videos and actually another girl who I also became friends with. But, um, this YouTuber, her name used to be Miss Glamorazzi. Now it's just her name, Ingrid Nelson. She reached out to me and she was the first person on YouTube to reach out for me or to me, um, which side note was a really like, I I feel like I'm like eternally grateful to her because I feel like her opening the door for me kind of was like giving the thumbs up to everyone else. Like, Hey, she's normal and not crazy. Like (laughs) you can be her friend. Um, so I, I feel like that really impacted me because I really try to also keep an eye out on like, who's out there, who seems like just a nice person who's really hustling. Like, who can I connect with? Um, all of that. But anyway, so she brought me into her life and to her circle. And from there, I met a bunch of YouTubers in LA. We all became friends, worked together, did a bunch of videos together. Um, a lot of those people ended up, I was going to say growing up, although I guess we were already adults back then and, you know, doing movies and television things. And we kind of just all slowly drifted apart over the years. Cause I've, you know, been doing this for seven years you know, kind of started working on our own projects. And, you know, it's interesting within the last, I still talk to some of those people. We just don't see each other super regularly. Um, but a couple of years ago, I started realizing like, I'm, I've always collaborated with people, but I realized I needed like, I needed to shake things up a little bit. My taste started to evolve. Um, my interests started to evolve. I also realized like, wow, I really need to start doing more music because I was just, I felt like a part of my soul was dying. And that's a whole separate, extremely long story, which if anybody wants to hear it, I made a video on my YouTube channel called why I moved to Nashville. But to summarize that, that was a part of the move to Nashville because when I started visiting, there were just so many creators here that, like you said, I just really jived with and wanted to make content with. And I knew I had become 
too much of an island back in LA because my taste had changed. I didn't know who to connect with really regularly. Um, and so really stepping out and taking the chance, like I got to find kind of a, not a new tribe, but kind of creatively, um, like I got to reconnect and I can't be so by myself. I have to be around a pool of creative people and, you know, being willing to do that. And thankfully my husband was willing to do that. Although this move benefited him in so many ways as well. Um, but doing this has just already, I can feel myself coming like back to life. My content has changed and it's just kind of a new chapter. I actually don't even know as I blabbered all this, if I actually answered your question, no, but that's kind don't. of my, <laughs> it's kind of my story of like, just, yeah, connecting and collaborating with people. And yeah, so now I'm here. And what ways have you found in terms of content and mm-hmm. that you collaborate with people that really seem to translate the best? Ooh, that's hard because it, I've not noticed one consistent way that always works. I actually did a collab about a year ago where literally this girl and I, we've been friends forever. I just went to her wedding. Um, well, not forever, but since I've been on YouTube and we both just made similar content. Like we both did a morning routine. This was, yeah, maybe a year, year and a half ago. And all we did was shout out to each other's channel and show like a clip. And for some reason that collab did so well. Like I grew a few thousand subscribers. So did she, Um, but then there have been other times where that shout, you know, just a shout out doesn't cross over as powerfully as like in-person content. I will say though, as I'm speaking out loud and kind of like processing that, I, I do think that the ones that have been the best have been the ones that have been long-term relationships where your audience and their audience gets a chance to get to know each other over time because you are organically in each other's lives, which once again is part of kind of what I'm doing in Nashville, trying to connect with people in a more consistent way that I really just jive with. I like that word. <laughs> I do too. I like that as well. And I think that you'll be able to start finding more people on that, on the music side of stuff too there. So yeah, I have been, and it's been, it's been so cool how welcoming everyone's been. Yeah, it is. It's a welcoming place for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I know that is very near and dear to your heart is the fight for human trafficking. Um, yeah. and I know that that's been something that you've really been focused on. How do you use your influence for this calling that you have? Um, cause I think that a lot of times to, to me influence, the only reason why any of us, any of us should really strive to have a, an influence is so we can serve the greater good. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, and I think that you, you kind of have to build it, but once you build it and it kind of gets flowing, then we all as influencers, we have a responsibility to say, okay, now how can I give back? How can I serve? This yeah. is the way that you're doing it. How are you using your influence to spread the awareness and how important is it to, to use your platform that you've cultivated to help end human trafficking? Yeah. So I feel, whoa, of course my phone started ringing again. I thought I had muted it. Bless my heart. Um, okay. So I guess the way to answer that, the way that I've kind of gone about supporting and fighting human trafficking over the last few years, it's continued to evolve. Um, and I think it's going to continue to evolve, you know, for the rest of my life because I have such big dreams for what I want to do with just the fight in general. Um, over the years though, the the biggest things that I've done have been music videos where, um, I'll pick a song that really like ties to the cause in some way to me in my heart. 
and I'll do the music video. I'll sell the music video to raise money. And then I'll usually attach, well, not usually every time I'll attach a message at the beginning, at the end, and at the end, really explaining what's going on in the world with slavery. Because the craziest thing is that with the rise of the internet, human trafficking has actually gone up, um, which is bananas to me to think. And I heard a statistic recently. I almost couldn't believe my ears. And I've heard this twice and I almost still have a hard time believing this, that supposedly of all of the people that are being brought in and trafficked now, 70% of them are coming from the internet, like from meeting each other on the internet. So what I believe my biggest role in all of this is, and will probably continue to be, is going to be awareness and fundraising because so many people just have no idea that slavery is a bigger thing today than it's ever been at any point in history. I think we all think of slavery as, you know, the civil war and other times that are more, um, just in our face because, you know, history has gone by and it was front and center and legal, but it's bigger now. There are more slaves alive now than ever. And it's the number one make number one money-making illegal industry in the world above you know, guns and drugs because humans can be sold over and over and over again. So it's, it's devastating when you start hearing all these statistics that this is happening. Um, so I really feel like considering so many people are, you know, brought in through the internet, that that's really my role. Mm -hmm. And the organization that I tend to support the most is called Zoe Children's Homes. And um, it's based in LA, but they have a home in Thailand and they're opening a really big LA home right now. And their goal is to expand throughout the country. Um, but they've told me that as well. They're like, honestly, just awareness is a huge thing because so many people just have no idea that that's going on and that it's going on all over the world, including the U S. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I've done. And this upcoming year, I'm going to be releasing an EP and the plan is to have all of the proceeds go back probably to Zoe children's homes. And then at the end of the year, I want to do a big benefit concert here in Nashville with a few friends as well, um, to just not only raise awareness, but also raise money and yeah. And then in smaller ways, I get sent so many, you know, products from companies I actually was just emailing a shelter here today. Um, I, I give products because so many of these women are brought out of this horrific situation. And it's like, they don't have basic things like, you know, razors and a little bit of makeup or hairspray or a brush, you know? So, um, I try to funnel products that I don't, you know, have or don't need, or I'm not giving away or whatever that direction as well. And it's all kind of like coming together now. It's like a full circle thing, which is, it's just, it kind of, it's interesting how the world will work that way. It really is. And I have, I have things in my head that like dreams that I have for my future with all of that, because I really do feel whether it's like illusions of grandeur, if that's the saying, which it could be. I feel like that is legitimately the call of my life is to fight that. And so it's kind of funny. I've told my husband some of the things that I have in my head because I'm like, if somebody has to know so that if this pans out the way I think it's going to pan out, like, I don't know, I believe in like visions from God and stuff. So I'm like, what's happening? Cause that's where I feel called in my life. Mm, so, yeah. Well, I know that something else um, that I think is just important to mention since I have a lot of young women who listen is um, you had also said um, 
that when people watch your, your videos on YouTube and hear your testimony, that you hope that it brings hope to those um, watching because you have cool. battled chronic pain for years and depression. And so yeah. you want women to know that they aren't alone. And I think that in this ever consistent grief, I call it a grief cycle that we get into on social media as bloggers mm. and influencers, because, yeah. um, you know, we can never get to that place of joy because we're, we're constantly in comparison and, yeah. you know, you can't really have joy without grief or grief without joy, but we yeah. can't ever really get to the joy, even if we see it, because we're constantly in the state of grief, because all we're doing right. is comparing ourselves and feeling like we're not enough every day. Mm. So I would love for you to speak on that a little bit, maybe even share some of your own personal, um, you know, situations with that and then, you know, how you try to help those listening and watching know that they aren't alone in that feeling at all. Yeah. I mean, you're totally right. First off saying that I was like, Whoa, that's so true. Like staring out the window thinking Mm -hmm. that's so true. Um, so hopefully this, this will answer your question. Some of your questions are just so good and big. I'm like, Ooh, do I even know how to answer this? Um, so I feel like one big thing that I've really tried to do over the last seven years is not only, you know, be open when I can. I'm one of those people. I don't do a great job sharing when I'm going through something. I'm a better like reflector. So people will usually find out like afterwards, Oh, I was actually dealing with X, Y, and Z, but I like to share. I like to be open and tell people, Hey, this is, this is what I'm going through because I feel like you know, if you're in this industry, you probably like things that are beautiful. They're set up a certain way. There's a story that's being told. It's constructed a certain way. But like you said, we look on social media and then it's like this comparison. So I like to bring like a certain amount of rawness. I like to drop that in the mix as well. So people don't, don't see me as like, just when I'm presented the certain way that I want to be presented, if that makes sense. Um, so I try to just be really, really open, you know, like I show up on camera all the time looking like real janky. I always joke. I'm like, I have no shame. Like I will show myself looking any which way. I mean, I love getting dolled up, but I want people to see like, Oh, Hey, look, these are all my acne scars. Like, Oh, I have pimple cream on my face right now. Like just to know, like I'm a normal human just like you are. And I think it's a good, I think it's a good reminder for people because I like it when I see that from girls that I admire, like, Oh, there they are. I have that. I have pimple cream on too. Um, so yeah, I, I'm trying to think you said like my own, my own stories. I, I feel like I'm kind of at a loss as to where to even go from there. I just, I just relate to the general feeling that you said in, in general of like getting on social media, seeing pictures and allowing that to discourage me from time to time. But honestly, what I try to do when I'm going through that is not look. I had a mentor tell me a few years ago, like, you're not obligated to go see what everyone else is up to. Like, if you're not mentally okay at that moment, protect your heart. There's actually a verse in the Bible. um, I'm totally going to quote it wrong, but it says something along the lines of like, protect your heart because that is where life comes out of. And so I think sometimes I don't know if other people think this, but I'll think like, suck it up. It's fine. It's just Instagram scrolling through. But having the awareness of like, "Mm, today's maybe not the day I need to see everyone on vacation in Bora Bora (laughs) and their bikinis. Like, I just need to focus on my own stuff and protect my heart. I think that's really important with social media because everything is just at our disposal. So I think it takes a little bit of self-discipline to just protect yourself and not let your heart become completely trashed because 
you know, you didn't have enough self-control to just like not be on Instagram for a minute, you know? So I don't know. That's kind of the end of my, my thought. If you want to direct me in another direction, I'll keep talking, but I'm not quite sure how else to answer that. No, I think that you answered it amazingly. Um, I want to, um, kind of switch gears over to, um, before we wrap this up, um, onto building a tribe. I know that we had talked about challenges and you had mentioned, um, you know, growing a tribe. Like, I think that that's always kind of a common struggle, no matter how big your tribe may be. Um, so how do you navigate that? And, um, if you have any tips on how to overcome that challenge, I would love to know. So are you talking about like a creative tribe or like your support system? Yeah, like more of like a, an online community tribe, like your, I I hate to call them followers. Um, Mm. but just like, because I, we can buy fall. I mean, people can buy followers. So a a follower to me means nothing. It's, it's more about those people who are really showing up every day to be a part of your community. Gotcha. Okay. So I'm going to answer the best I can and tell me if you're looking for like a different direction of answers, but this is kind of where my head's at. I think the, the best way to do that, there's a, there's so many different ways, obviously, um, consistency. I think a lot of people, I was just talking to someone yesterday who's, um, a part of Vlogmas right now, which is a thing on YouTube where you vlog every day till Christmas. And I'm doing it as well, but we were talking and she was like, Oh, I feel like this is, this is going to help people see me not so much as like a new YouTuber. And I told her, I was like, exactly. People will show up on your page and see a library of stuff that not only equates to someone who might be a new follower as seeing like, Oh, they're not just like, I think I want to try this internet thing. And then they're going to ditch. Like, I don't know about you, but I won't watch a lot of TV shows if there's not like multiple seasons. Sometimes I won't even watch unless they've finished because I'm like, I don't trust the network to not cancel on me. And I think (laughs) sometimes people feel that with following people. It's like, who are you? Are you just going to disappear? I'm already a fan of like these other people. So I think consistency and being patient is really important. Um, because that's how people are going to, you know, find you. Sometimes people have to see you multiple times before they even like you, you know, there's been artists that I've seen or heard so many times. And for some reason it just took a bunch of times till I was like, okay, I think I'm a fan of this person. Like I really like them. So it just takes time. But then also in terms of like, you know, really, if you want to use the word, like your tribe, the people that really vibe with you, I think that comes down and I know everybody uses this word, but it's a, it's a struggle to fight for this word, um, authenticity and just being real about who you are, what you like, um, what you don't like, you know, being open and you will start to attract like-minded people. And if you engage with those people, you know, in the comments, there's so many ways to engage with people freak, you know, often from there, it'll grow, like it'll ripple out. I mean, if you want to get really technical on like the algorithm side of things, obviously like people leaving a comment, other people can see that, you know, it's just good for the algorithm, but just from like a relational touch, you know, touch point thing, I don't even know the word I'm looking for. Um, connecting with people just helps your stuff grow in general. So I think consistently being open with people and creating stuff that you love, I think is just, the best way to, to grow an audience because then people can start to feel like they're a friend, like they know you, they want to come back for more because they've connected with you. Um, and yeah, but it takes time. And I think a lot of times nowadays it really takes time because it's growing so much and people have so many options as you know, who to follow 
you know, also side note, I think numbers are totally a different thing nowadays than they were when I started, but that's a side tangent. So, um, yeah, those are, that's kind of my thoughts around growing that group. And I think that, you know, the more that we stay intentional, because I know that that a lot of people talk about authenticity and I know that you talk about it as well. It's, it's interesting. The more that I do this, it's kind of like that word can kind of start to get generalized. Yes. But it really does go back. So I try to now use the word intention. Like what is your intention? Um, yes. And, and really kind of sticking from that core place. And I think the more that, that you're intentional with that and with the great examples that you just gave, the better that we're going to see that tribe just get stronger and stronger and stronger. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I wanted to ask you, um, I know that we talked about brands a little bit ago, but, um, I wanted to ask you about some fun things that you have in the works. I know that you are doing something with lashes that I want Mm -hmm. you to share with us if you can. Yeah, I'm so excited. This has been the most like random project that came my way and it's ended up being such a joy, like so cool to work on. Um, basically I have a line of lashes in every single Walgreens in the U S and I currently have three styles that are in the stores and we're also developing another product that may be released within the next year, like under, under the same brand under Ilor as well. And I love them. It was so cool. Cause when they approached me, I was like, um, I mean, like I don't wear lashes that much. And I ended up finding out through all these meetings that that was like a big part of the reason they wanted to work with me because a lot of women are really like intimidated by the thought of lashes. A lot of women just don't wear lashes. Mm-hmm. And they were saying like, you kind of represent that woman. Like, what would you need to make in order to be a convert to lashes. And so they really gave me the freedom to just kind of make whatever lashes I wanted. And the team at Ilor, I mean, like it's such a, I don't even know the word to use high class, like team. They just are so great at executing a product because every step of the way, you know, I would say, this is what I want. This is how I want it to look. They'd give me the design. I get it in my hands. I'd say, okay, I want it a little more like this. They'd adjust and it's beautiful. The packaging, everything. Obviously the distribution being in every single Walgreens in the U S like Walgreens has more brick and mortars than any other store. It's been so surreal. Honestly, one of those situations where like, I, I don't even know how this happened. It's been the easiest deal. It's been the most amazing deal. It's been great product. And I just love them. Every time I see people on Instagram wearing them, I'm like, Oh my gosh, those are my lashes I designed. And they look so pretty. So it's been really cool. I'm actually wearing them today. <laughs> I love that. And you looked yeah. fabulous because I got to see you and they were amazing. Thank you. Um, Thank did, you. Were you a fan of Ayalore? Um, and that's kind of how that relationship started? Or did they just kind of find you out of the blue? So I didn't even know what Ilor was. The reason it happened, this is like really business and technical, but um, my management company, they work with Ilor in the UK. They have a client that also, actually one of my really good friends, Fleur, um, her YouTube name is Fleur de Force. She has a range of lashes in the UK with Ilor. And so they had wanted to go into the US. And so that's kind of how that unfolded. They approached them about me and it was just a good, it was a good fit. Um, especially for what they wanted, I guess, to achieve 
through me because there's four of us and I feel like it's called the vlogger series. It's me and three other YouTubers and the three other girls that we all did these lashes. They're all so different, but specifically what they wanted with me, it was a great fit because, um, it didn't matter that I was like, dude, I, I mean, I used to wear lashes all the time when I was dancing, but I rarely wear them now. And like I told you, they didn't care and they actually liked that. And that was a big part of the design process and, um, the packaging. And it's so cool too, because especially my daytime lashes, those are the ones that I really designed with the perspective of like, if you're scared to wear lashes, buy these (laughs) and they've done so well. And that was so cool to see because I've never had the experience of making something and feeling like, Oh, I think this is going to do really, really well. And then on top of that, turning around and having it do really, really well, like that was a cool experience. So, um, it's just been really rad working with them and they've been great partners. I love that. Well, thank you for sharing an example of how you've been able to do like a, like a really unique, um, your own kind of collection. I think that that's, that's really cool. So before we wrap this up, um, I wanted to ask you a question that I ask everyone that comes on the show and that is what does influence mean to you? Oh, that's a good, very deep, profound question. Oh, how do I even answer that? Um, I think having influence and I don't, once again, this is my third time saying this on the call. I don't know if this is going to answer your question, but having influence to me means hopefully getting to influence people in a direction of like positivity, hope. Um, I actually heard something on a podcast I was listening to the other day that the woman said that for the amount of people that you have following you, that you could impact positively, you could also impact negatively. You could also hurt. And so I see it as like a lot of responsibility and I want to bring light and joy and, um, inspiration to the people that do follow me and hopefully give them motivation to get up and go after what they really want to go after. Cause I'm one of those people, like, it's so interesting, even though I'm a little bit of a, a little cynical and pessimistic, I also have this side of me that so genuinely believes that people can do whatever they want to do. Mm. And I think so many people are scared to think that, or they can't accept that. But like, I really believe that like someone is the president, someone is an astronaut, someone is all of these outlandish sounding things and not everyone can fill those roles. So what I really try to do through my videos, even if it's, you know, it's beauty or, you know, a music video or fashion or whatever is to just have the tone be like, Hey, I'm doing this cause it's fun and I'm going to try it and you know, we'll see, but you can do what you want to do too. And you don't have to you know, stop yourself through negative thoughts or put a, put pressure on yourself, do it. Cause you're, you love it, but trust that this could pan out for you. Like why not? You know? So, um, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts around influence. I love that. Thank you so much. Well, where can everyone find you, follow you, learn more about you, learn where to get these lashes, obviously Walgreens, but, um, just kind of keep, keep more tabs on you. You can find me anywhere on the internet just with my name, Nick. I was going to tell you in the beginning, it's Nikki Philippi, like filling a pie. Thank you for correcting that. Yes. <laughs> I almost, I almost said that in the beginning and I was like, I'm not going to be that snotty, but no, it's Nikki it's Philippi. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> 
And anywhere you look on the internet, it's the same name everywhere. YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. And if you're curious, the Philippi, like my last name is not with an F, it's a PH. So N-I-K-K-I-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-P-I. I'm sure you all needed to know the spelling. <laughs> that. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your wisdom and your heart. I so appreciate it. And um, I'm excited to see what's to come. I'm excited too. And thank you for having me. You're such a lovely conversationalist and host and... Like I said, your voice is so soothing and that was just lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Are you ready to create your own industry-leading influence? For show notes, downloads, and action-based tips, head to www.theinfluencerpodcast.com where you can find out more about this week's episode, guest, and our host, Julie Solomon. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please take a minute to go to iTunes and leave a review so we can help other influencers like yourself build their own successful business.